This is episode 67 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. These are great interviews with phenomenal businesswomen from all over the world who are here to share their journeys so you can take that information and use it in yours. I have an amazing interview for you to listen to today, but before we get into it, I want to just make sure that I mention our marketers cruise that we put on every single year. So I've sort of mentioned it in and out of some of these episodes uh, because I have interviewed a couple of the women who have been on the marketers cruise as presenters these past few years. And so I just wanted to make sure officially that you are invited to come onto this marketers cruise. So kind of the backstory behind that is the organization that my husband and I run locally in Tampa for the past three years have been putting on a marketer's cruise where we bring in the best of the best internet marketers from all over the world. We bring in our local community, but to be honest with you, we have quite a few people outside of our local community who fly in because they want to hear from these incredible, incredible business people. And we just end up hanging out for four days, going down to Cozumel, and uh, have such a great time. It's a lot of education. It's a lot of just really, really good relationship building. The cruise last year in 2013 is the reason why this podcast exists. So on top of the fact that I'm the organizer for this cruise, I totally believe in it as far as really great education that can totally spur your business forward. So if you want to learn more about the cruise, you are officially invited by me. You can go to bizwomenrock.com. Now let's get on with the show. Today's guest is Erin Below, and she's the founder of Holster Brands, which has created the Hot Iron Holster. And this is a product that she created just out of her own need of needing a place to be able to put her curling iron, her hot iron, her blow dryer on a sink that has no shelf space. There's no um, countertop space. And she really goes in depth with us about what gave her this idea in the first place all the way to what she needed to do for patenting, for manufacturing, for creating a prototype to actually getting it out there and what's happened to her brand since and how she's growing. She is so generous with the information that she gives us about all the little details to what made it happen. So if you have a product and you're trying to get it out there or if you're thinking about a product that you think everyone's going to love, then this is definitely a must listen. Erin is absolutely wonderful. So let's get going. Erin, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I'm so excited to have you because you are an inventor who has had one of those aha moments, created something, and have built it to fruition with a really great product, the Hot Iron Holster, which I think every woman is like shaking her head right now going, oh my God, yes, that's such a great idea. I need one of those. <laughs> Anyone who's ever used a flat iron or a curling iron or a blow dryer, something that is totally utilizable. So I think every inventor really starts with that moment, that aha moment of, or really a pain point where they're like, oh my gosh, I need this. And now I have the moment of, I can't be the only one who needs this. So can yeah. you give us a little bit of that story? Like, how did you come up with this idea in the first place? Yeah, sure. So it's kind of simple. It started about five years ago. I have a 
bathroom downstairs that I would always get ready at every morning. And it's kind of a guest bathroom. It only has like a pedestal sink and a toilet in it. And I found at the time I had two little girls. My older one was two and a half. And my younger was like four or five months old. And then I found that I was always downstairs and they, I could always have them kind of nearby. And I was always stepping there for a few minutes and do part of my hair and then step back out and help them and then go back. I was always going back and forth trying to kind of get my hair done. Not really efficient, but it, it seemed to work at the time. But the more I got ready at that sink, the more it drove me crazy because I was always using a curling iron or a flat iron. I have naturally curly hair and I'm always straightening or fixing something. And whenever I was getting ready at the sink, I always had to carefully balance my tool and it usually was falling in the sink or on the floor and it was just kind of a mess. And they're hot and I didn't want to get burned. It, it just was kind of irritating more than anything. So I thought, well, I'll just buy something. There must be something I can buy to kind of solve this problem. So I literally, I was just looking online one night and trying to just buy something. It would have been a lot easier to just bought something, but I couldn't find anything. And I got thinking about it, and I thought, well, maybe I can just come up with something that could help me out. So I was thinking about when I go and get my hair cut at the salon and the metal canisters that the um, hairstylists use to put their tools in. I thought, I just need some kind of pocket. Maybe that would work. And I thought a lot about silicone because I use silicone in the kitchen. I have silicone muffin tins and oven mitts and hot pads. And I thought, well, they're heat resistant. Maybe I could come up with something that would work. So I literally just went to my kitchen and I took a silicone oven mitt and two hot pads and I sewed them together. So I, I sewed the two hot pads together, made a long flap, and I sewed that to the oven mitt, the top of it. And then at the end of the flap, I put a, I sewed a little pocket and I put a bag of coins, like a Ziploc bag of coins in there. So when you looked at it, I kind of had the coins at the one end that were kind of like a weight and the oven mitt was a pocket at the other end. And I draped it over the edge of my sink with the coins in the sink and the pocket on the outside. So I had this little device to hold my styling tools when they were hot when I was doing my hair. So it didn't look real pretty. I could barely sew it together because it was so thick, but it but it seemed to do the job. Solved so the I problem, actually, right? It solved the problem. <laughs> I had somewhere to put my tool down, finally. So And it was nice because I could leave it in there when I was done, and I could just put it in the closet and put it away, and I didn't have to leave it out. It wasn't a permanent fixture in my bathroom, which I liked. So I actually used it for several months, and after using it for a while, I was talking to my husband about it and said, you know, I would use one of these. I would buy one that was maybe built a little better if I could find one. I think maybe other people could use this, too. So that got us thinking and kind of started down the path of, well, what do we do next? How do we, who do we talk to and how are we going to make this? So we felt the most important thing next was to talk to a patent attorney to protect the idea. We didn't know much about inventing things, but kind of hear stories and we heard stories about how people don't have patents or can be easily copied. And so we thought, well, we'll do that first. And we ended up talking to my, uh, my brother-in-law. He knew someone, kind of an acquaintance, who had invented something and had used a patent attorney. So we thought, well, we'll start there. We don't know anybody else. And contacted that patent attorney, and it seemed like a pretty good fit. So we went forward with him starting the patent process. So that was actually probably in January of 2010 when we actually submitted the patent, or about that time. So once we had the patent kind of in the works, because that took about three years to actually get, we got two utility patents after about three years, we moved into trying to make a prototype because we thought, well, we need something a little better to show. Right, <laughs> right. a little bit more refined. So, so you, we, didn't, you didn't need an actual prototype in order no. to do a patent? No, 
you could actually, I mean, we had, I, I sent some like simple drawings of kind of the, the final version that I kind of had in my head. And then we showed, we took pictures and showed him the one that we had been using. So we kind of went over all the different aspects of it, the pocket, kind of the, the shape and the dimensions and, you know, all the different qualities. And that's kind of where we, we began. So, and he's told us that people sometimes just have like napkin drawings that they start with. Wow. So you don't always have to have the finished product to have a patent. Then you guys shifted and spent your time trying to, to actually create the real prototype. So yeah. what, what was that process like? So we ended up, again, we just went, we didn't know a lot. We just kind of Googled where to make a prototype. <laughs> and being in San Diego, we, we contacted some companies down here, just started calling and asking without telling them everything because you always have to kind of have an NDA or non-disclosure agreement. So we, over the phone, we would just say, you know, we, we want to make kind of a rubber silicone type object that's about this size. We'd kind of talked in generalities and see if we could we could have a meeting to discuss more. So a lot of them were kind of small and kind of did different type of prototyping, but we found one that we thought would work and ended up meeting with them. And the first time we met with them, I had my, I called it my Frankenstein because it was really stitched together odd and not very pretty. But we took that, my prototype, and we met with a couple engineers, and everybody was male that was there, and nobody uses a curling iron. So I ended up taking <laughs> it into the men's bathroom and kind of laying it on the sink and showing them how it worked. So it was kind of an odd first meeting, but it kind of demonstrated how, how it works. So I think that helped. And I think in the beginning, it's one of those things that you just have to always believe in. I mean, they were men, and they didn't quite know if it was that good of an idea or if it was really necessary, but I just kind of stuck with my gut and felt like women need this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, and I kind of kept going with it. Did you, well, do, we ended up, did oh, you do any like surveying, even if, even if it was like informal amongst friends, like were you asking other people like, hey, would you like this? And is this something that, that you would use? Not in the beginning. You know, once we had the NDA signed and we had our patent filed, we felt like we could talk about it a little bit more. Because when you file a patent, you have to list like everybody that you've talked to about the idea and when you talk to them. Like it's all about kind of that first date of when things started, just to make sure you have protection from that point on. I, I did some friends and family members, but I think what I did that was probably more important, because I, I mean, I felt like it was... I don't know if it was just my gut. Maybe I could have done more research. We did kind of more of a search for any compatible or any comparable products. So I looked to make sure there was nothing even like this on the market and what my competition was. And everything seemed pretty different. There was nothing that quite worked like this would. So I felt confident that we were, we were kind of different and had a, a place in the market in the future. So, so now yeah. you now you had your patent kind of in the process going. Now you've been dealing with the company to get a prototype up and running. What happened next? Like what were the next real steps that you had to get in order to actually launch a business? We still weren't quite anywhere close. <laughs> We got that prototype made and it took several months. And part of it was I was still working full-time as a nurse. My husband was still working full-time for his job. This was kind of just a hobby on the side that we were doing. I think if we would have been had a lot of money and been able to focus all of our time, this would have happened a lot quicker, but we just kept kind of plugging along as we could. So the prototype took several months to get finished. I think by the time we did like two rounds of it, because the first one was just not quite right, and by the time we got the second one, it took several weeks even each time we did it to make the mold and then to make the product. It was all done off-site. And so we got that in the fall of 2010, I think like in September. And when we had the actual kind of refined prototype, we felt like we were ready to start talking to people and we needed to find buyers or stores that would want to sell this. So in the fall of 2010, my husband surprised me and bought a booth in the Inventor's Corner at the Chicago International House and Homeware Show. 
which is a really big show in the U.S. that's held like every March. So as we had kind of researched and as we'd kind of tried to email and like cold call any companies that we thought this would work for, uh, we weren't hearing back and we weren't getting through. And we felt like maybe if we talked to someone face to face, we ended up actually talking to someone else that had done it the year before. And she really encouraged us and said it had been a great show. She had a lot of good contacts from it. So we kind of made that step and that commitment to get the booth and, and try that. So we did that in the March of 2011, which was, it, it was, it was probably one of the best things that we did. It kind of launched us from just having this kind of, you know, fun little idea to actually moving into like a true business. We formed our business in November of 2010, did the show in March of 2011. And the booth was real tiny. It was like five feet. We had a sink because we felt like we needed a sink to demonstrate it. And we had it on a little dolly that was on wheels. And at the show, they had a couple different kind of panels that you could bring your product and pitch it before. So, and they had different industry people up in the panel. And like one of them had like a buyer from SkyMall. So we rolled our sink up there, stood in front of the microphone and talked about our product for about four minutes. And we had just really good feedback from that point on. They didn't have a lot of criticism for it. They thought it was a good idea. As I walked away, the SkyMall buyers handed me her card and said, when you're ready, I want to buy it. As we were rolling back to our booth, we had an agent from QVC and HSN approach us and wanted to work with us. Wow. So we were super excited because we didn't even know if people would like it. Wow. (laughs) That was really encouraging. So that whole expo was really like your major launching point and really allowed you to start establishing those really great relationships. Right. That's where we, I mean, we ended up, that was in 2011. We ended up in on QVC and like, the winter, I think February of 2012. So that's, but that was where that relationship started was almost a full year before. Okay, so now you've established all these relationships with these folks. What did you have to do? Like, were you also creating a website so people could order this online? Were, were you in the midst of having conversations just to directly sell it to the stores so that they could purchase it? Like, what was your actual plan at that time? Yeah, we didn't know. We just figured it out. If we did, we really were like, great. We showed people now. What do we do next? You know, and at that show in 2011, we just had a prototype. So it was kind of it was it was more refined than the one I had sewn together. But it had like three metal weights that were embedded in one end, and it had a really big pocket, and it was actually made out of latex. It wasn't made out of silicone because the the mold capabilities. Um, so we had to take this kind of first prototype and actually make it into like the finished product. So we still kind of had a stumbling block. We still didn't know how we were going to get rid of the weights and how we were going to make it all work. So as we left that show, we had a lot of interest, but we didn't give anybody a drop dead date of when it was going to be ready because we still didn't know. We didn't have a manufacturer. We had just simply made a prototype. So we knew it was going to take us more time. So, and I was actually pregnant at the time with my third. So I wasn't feeling great. I was still working. (laughs) We were still plugging along, but we were pretty excited. felt like the fire had been lit under us a little bit more. But into that summer, we felt like the next step was actually to find a manufacturer. So the prototyping company that we worked with, we talked to them a lot and felt like they were kind of in the industry and they could kind of help us along. They didn't have any great leads, but they said, we go to some trade shows every year in different conventions. And they invited us to a medical plastics convention in Anaheim. So we're like, okay. And they're like, you know, they've all kind of manufacturers. You might be able to meet somebody and then, you know, establish a relationship from there. So we ended up going to this medical plastics convention. I kind of felt at home because I'm a nurse. So there was a lot of like IV tubing and medical stuff all over the place. But um, (laughs) we ended up just talking like randomly to anybody that had silicone and same thing, not giving a lot of detail because we didn't have any NDA signed. We were talking to manufacturers. So we were a little more nervous not knowing them. We kind of talked in generalities and got contacts and followed up with some 
one that we thought might work and kind of went from there. And as the months kind of went on, we, we found one that we could work with. And as we started working with them, we still had to kind of overcome that hurdle of how are we going to make this like a product we can actually sell and make money on. As we started to learn more about silicon and the different properties, which I didn't really know anything about before I did this, we found that they can make silicone sticky. They can make it nonstick. There's different kind of flexibilities. You can make it more flexible, more rigid. There's different and there's different things you can add to it. So we started getting more and more samples and we began to go down the path of maybe we can get rid of the weights, but we can actually just make the silicone sticky. And the way that it works, the hot iron holster has a flap that kind of sticks onto the any smooth surface. So we thought if we can make it sticky enough, that'll stick and then the pocket can hang and it should be strong enough to, to work. So I got a bunch of samples and literally put them all over my house and clamped weights onto them to see how much they would hold. And I'd leave them up overnight and tried them on my sink and on my chair and on my cabinets and anywhere that was smooth that I thought would work. And which and everyone actually, was like standing at the end. That's the winner, right? <laughs> yeah. And I had towels underneath them in case they dropped. <laughs> so I like ruined my floor. So yeah, we went around and I just tried. In the end, I kind of, I had my favorites and I talked to the engineers and I said, I think that this will work. I want this flexibility and I want this thickness and so and I ended up finding the prototyping company that we worked with they kind of introduced us to an industrial designer that they had used and an industrial designer actually does the drawings for the CAD which is like the three dimensional drawings that they send to China to like make the steel molds from so they kind of got us in touch with this industrial designer that's been great and we've worked with him to actually draw all the molds and then he sends his files to China and they build them the molds from that so in working with him, just pulling any anybody into it that might know something and was helpful, we were able to kind of move forward with our first mold that we ended up building in, gosh, I think it was the very beginning of 2012, like December 2011, January 2012. And then we hit like Chinese New Year's, which we knew nothing about. So we actually... <laughs> We made this mold. Our first production samples came into town. We only got like a couple. We got those like mid-February and the show was like in three weeks. So that was the first time I'd actually seen the finished product. And we actually went back to the Chicago Houseware show for a second year because we felt like we were actually, we actually had a product that we could sell this time. It wasn't just an idea to kind of run past people. So we actually got that prototype in February and we had to get like airship over enough for the show. And those arrived at the hotel like the night before in Chicago. Wow. So it was kind of crazy. But oh we goodness. showed that at the show again in the inventor's corner and we saw a lot of the same people and then more more faces that you know we hadn't seen before. And again, we just had great feedback. They loved that we could get rid of the weights and we actually had like a viable product. We kind of redid our web, we, did, we redid our logo at the time. So we kind of made it more, I don't know, we just improved it, but we still didn't have packaging. We still didn't know how we were gonna ship. I mean, we had so many unanswered questions. All we knew is we had a product <laughs> that we could like sell. So that was in yeah March of 2012. During this whole process and as you were meeting people, were you actually like taking orders or like taking future orders or what, did people that you were talking to like know like, hey, this is just an idea? We weren't ready. And, you know, I think it's always more ideal when you have it ready to go. When you have all your packaging, all your numbers done, when you know your master case sizes and everything. It's so much easier because you kind of, we got these contacts, but we just, we couldn't do much with them. And we knew it was going to be time. And you feel like the more time that goes on, you're not, I don't know, there's not just a chance to lose them. Yeah. So, I mean, we did keep in touch and just through email, kind of keeping them up to date on things. And it, I think it worked out 
Well, for us, I think one of our strongest leads was the QVC agent that we started working with. And an agent is just someone that's like, they don't work directly for QVC. They take a commission on your sales. So it was someone that actually works very closely with QVC. That's all they do. And then they represent products and they, one of the eight, that company that we work with actually has like on-air talent that will like do the product, the QVC segment and all that. So that's kind of the road that we took for QVC. Erin, what I am so loving about your story is that I think so many people who have an idea don't really want to do anything until they get it to market or yeah. until they have like that final viable product and now they're ready to sell. And what I love that I'm hearing you say is that you, I mean, even with just a kind of first draft prototype, granted, it wasn't like the Frankenstein that you had built, but like, you know, like it was that first draft prototype that you took. And and that was like a major, major turning point for your business. Because all of a sudden you had feedback from people going, yeah, this would be great. Yeah, call me when you're ready. And then you just kept going with whatever next, whatever the next right step was. And you just, even if you weren't quite ready yet, you, you like stayed in the industry, like you stayed in touch, which I think is really smart. We were just kind of scrappy. We just kept going. I think like what you had asked earlier though, you, did we do any testing? Did we ask a lot of people, do you need this product? I think that's what that first trade show did for us. It was the first time we were really able to show it to a lot of people and get their feedback. And I think that feedback was so, it's what kind of, yeah, turned us. It was that pat on the back, like this is a good idea and it's going to sell. And I think that that was, they did, it lit the fire underneath you and you're like, we got to keep working on this. We got to figure it out and we'll get there (laughs) just one step at a time. I want to really fast forward now and give some to-date numbers. And so people have a really good snapshot of where you are now, because that was, what did you say back in like early 2012, right? Yeah. That that you finally had a product. So at the time of this recording, we're in mid 2014. So we're talking about two and a half years later. Where are you guys now? How big are your sales? How many of these have you actually sold? And And what are some of those numbers that give us a snapshot of how you've grown just in these past two and a half years? We started selling the hot iron holster in August of 2012. And we, for that year, which we sold for about four months through the end of December, we made about 85,000. And that included, we just had some small boutique orders. We got into Sky Mall in October. We were actually in the catalog in fourth quarter. And then we did a couple of like women's expo shows just to start selling eggs. We had the product, we wanted to show people. And that was really great because we had people that could come up, we could talk to and teach how it worked and demonstrate it. And we got a lot of great feedback in the beginning. So that, that worked out well. So those first four months, we did about 85,000 in sales and we were stoked. And then going into 2013, we started working with Container Store. We got in with them and we met them at the Chicago House for a show. We met a buyer there and just continued that relationship and um, were able to get into their store. So that was in January 2013. And then we were on QVC in February of 2013 and did really well throughout the whole year. So in in all of 2013, we did 1.1 million in sales. Wow. One of the things I really want to dig in there is your experience at QVC. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like? You had met this QVC person and that intermediary, basically, who was able to get you in. Step by step, what did you have to do in order to actually get onto the program? And then what happened during the program? So our first airing was in February of 2013. There was a lot of back and forth just on, you have to send samples. They have to decide the buyer at QVC worked with the agent that we worked with and they have to decide on the colors and the quantities and the packaging and where it's going to ship out from. And you got to determine the cost, what you're willing to sell it to them for. There's just so many things that have to be decided before it actually all comes 
to fruition, kind of. So there was just a lot of behind the scenes. It took a lot more work, I think, than we we actually anticipated. And they have got like quality checks and all that kind of stuff. But when it went on air, I think it went on air like at three in the morning, Pacific Coast time. And we were up and so excited. <laughs> but it did well. I think we sold out on at least one of the colors, which was great. And from there, they they kept putting it back on air every, I think, like three weeks. So we we were kind of a regular and did really well and then continued really well and strong into the, the end of the year. So QVC was, was real big for us last year. Wow. What kind of stuff happens between you and QVC? Like, what is the deal on there? Is it because I've always heard like, oh, they take X amount of points from every sale that you have. Or do they give you like sell X amount of product and you get X amount of revenue from that? What is their what is their agreement? And do you know if it's the same for everyone or if they did something special for you? You know, we sell a ton kind of for a wholesale cost. So we had to establish what that wholesale number was going to be. And then every time it goes on air, they kind of have a quota that they have to sell. And you're compared to the other products that go on air. So, you know, they kind of, having done this for so long, they have all their statistics and numbers and you're supposed to kind of hit a certain number. And then compared to all the other products that were in that show, if it's an hour long show, they kind of put you up against these other products to determine how well you did. So it's kind of based on kind of your scores every time you go on air. So, I mean, you, I mean, some shows can be great and some can be a little softer and you just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of crazy. And we only go on for seven and a half or eight minutes. So, I mean, there's just so much that's expected within that time frame that it's kind of crazy. Wow. If you have this pie chart over where you guys get your sales from, what percentage of that is from like website and people just kind of coming directly to your website versus QVC, let's say, and then versus, you know, any corporate accounts that you have, like something like a Sky Mall, or if you're in a particular boutique, if you're in uh, the container store, like what are the, what's the breakdown of those numbers? I don't know if I know all of them. I know QVC was our big one last year, and I think it was probably about 65 or 70% of our sales last year because it was just such a big customer for us, especially as we moved into fourth quarter, which was great. And then probably online, last year was probably only like 5%. Our website is, it was kind of a, just a placeholder in a way. We didn't invest a lot into our website because we were focusing more on getting into stores. And I think as we've moved along, that's something that we're really working on right now to kind of improve and strengthen as the website because there's just so much potential for the website. And another thing, we started off with one product, the Hot Iron Holster, and this year we've launched two more products, which are the Little Holster and the Hobby Holster. So now we kind of have a seven different products in our line and there's there's no one place that you're ever going to be able to go to and buy all of them because they're all kind of unique the hobby holsters for like hot glue guns and your little holsters are for the kitchen and the bathroom and so we felt like we really needed to improve our website and maximize sales on there so that anybody can come and they can buy all the holsters they want kind of in one place and we could have more control over it. So there's huge value in that. And just as we've gotten more, we, as we get bigger and you know have more money to put into it, we're starting to focus on that more. So website sales were not a ton, but we're hoping to improve that. Erin, what was your turning point at which you looked at your business and said, okay, I'm ready to do this full time? And, and what did that take for you to make that transition? So I had, in 2011, I had my third child. I had my son, Jake. And that was in July. So I think as I was working still through that pregnancy and as I got closer kind of to the end of it, I kind of felt like that was going to be my turning point. <laughs> I didn't know if I could. Having, having three kids, I felt like I, I wanted to be home a little bit more and being home, I felt like I'd have more time to focus on that. So and I think after having gone to the Chicago trade show, that kind of really got us more motivated to spend more time on it. So I think kind of that time period, I'd say the summer of 2011. Gotcha. And now your husband is in the business full time as well. What role does he have? 
So he's our operations manager. His background is more as a product manager and he studied more international business. He just has a much stronger business background than I do. We talk about this all the time. We're always strategizing and talking about business and where we're at and where we're going. So he just seemed to be kind of a natural fit and he knew so much of what was going on just having lived with me all the time, (laughs) working out of the house. So he kind of naturally assumed that role back in the spring of 2013. He was able to quit his job and just focus on this full time, which has been great because, yeah, he, he does a great job at what he does. So you've been able to really, you know, take the weight of your business growth thus far with kind of a contractual team. I mean, people who are really kind of filling in little pieces of this whole process for you. Talk a little bit about where you are with your team now and what it's going to take for you to really build out this product. It's funny, you know, I think last year we didn't expect to do so well. By the end of the year, when we actually had all of our sales in and everything and did our numbers, we were surprised we'd even had over a million in sales. We thought we were doing well, but we didn't even truly know until the end. And I think we were kind of able to handle it. And I I feel like this year it's just gotten a lot bigger than we are. And we're feeling kind of that pain of it's, it's a little too much. So that's something we've really been trying to focus on. But in the meantime, we're so busy with everything. It's hard to hand it off. And you kind of like having the control sometimes. It's your baby. You know what I mean? You, you know everything about it and how to do everything, but you can't do it all because you end up missing opportunities or you're just never going to maximize it. So we've, my sister's been involved kind of from the beginning as a cheerleader and attending trade shows. So she became our sales manager during about mid last year. So she's been great and she kind of handles most of the accounts. And then we have a business uh, developer contractor that we work with that helps us a lot with kind of more margins and contracts and stuff that's just a little bit more technical and where I don't have expertise. So we're actually selling the hot iron holster in about 16 different countries. And he's helped a lot making sure that we have good contracts in place and kind of helping guide us as we do that. And then we have a warehouse and fulfillment company that we started working with back in December of 2012, right after that first fall when we were in SkyMall. And that, that was a total necessity because in October is when we started working with them and we were just fulfilling them out of our kitchen here in the house. And by, by the time two weeks before Christmas rolled around, it was getting nuts. We were behind, we were low on one color and that finally got shipped in on time. So we had all these back orders and we spent one night literally up until my husband drove up to Long Beach to pick up the products. It was delayed in getting here. He drove in about 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday. We started processing and inputting UPS orders until about four in the morning, woke up a couple minutes later and worked all day long and barely made it to UPS at like 6 p.m. the next day. Oh my gosh. And we, we did over like 300 like just individual UPS orders. Wow. And our kitchen, our kitchen was just insane. So that we realized real quick this wasn't going to work. <laughs> we needed more help. So it had kind of taken over the dining room, the kitchen, you know, everything. Our garage had like pallets in it. So, yeah. You know, $1.1 million sounds like a lot. What are some of those behind the scenes costs that allow you to buy in bulk for certain things? Like what's happening behind the scenes that maybe not everyone really sees when you look at $1.1 million in revenue? Well, it's interesting because I think in the beginning, you just think, well, we'll make it for this price. We'll sell it for this price and we'll make this much money. Like it seems real simple. You know what I mean? And as you get more into it, you realize there are so many other layers and expenses that you just never thought. And you really don't know until you start doing it. I think that's one thing. We'd always try to kind of estimate, you know, say, well, our marketing is going to be about this much. Our cost of like the website will be about this much and our product will be here. And we think shipping is going to be about this much and then packaging. 
but it, it really does get, I think, a lot more complicated than you think. So we actually, at the end of last year, we were profitable for the first time, which was really exciting. But there's, I mean, there's so many things with the expense of molds. You know, we have probably about 11 different molds right now in China, and those all have a cost. The constant cost of even legal fees. We have a trademark on our name and on our logo, our patents that went through, and we're doing more design patents on new ideas that we have. So we feel like there's just constant money that's kind of going to all these different things that you just never expected. So you do expect to bring in more and then you're surprised at how much goes out the door. <laughs> yeah. Now, what have you guys done in the space of public relations? Because you're definitely out there in the media. So what have been your plans or how have you been able to get into media and utilize public relations to be able to get eyes on you? Right. You know, we felt this was really important. You know, I think it's one of the hardest things when you don't have a lot in your budget. That's one of the hardest areas to put your money in because you don't always see it directly back or you can't always measure it. But we felt it was so important in the beginning, back in like August of 2012, we we'd had a Facebook page up for a few months and, you know, had started down that social media, you know, requirement. And we could only get like 70 likes between like all of our friends and family. And we're like, how do we do this? How do we get it out there more? And we ended up at a trade show. So we, we met a PR company that we just, we liked a lot and we talked to some other people that had worked with them and kind of checked them out and felt like we could kind of try going forward with them. So with them, they kind of took over our Facebook and started a Twitter account and they've grown to do Instagram. And one of their strong things, you know, I think that social media components almost required for everybody. It's good just to have that social presence and but it, it's also huge. They have so many contacts for kind of print and TV media and stuff like that that I don't have access to. And they just, they know what they're doing. So they're constantly sending out samples and reaching out to anybody that the Hot Iron Holster might be a good fit for. So the for example, they were able to get us on the Today Show back March of 2013. And then we've been in Real, Real Simple. I've had a couple kind of local TV interviews and I, I mean, everything just is helps so much. I mean, you'll just you'll see the the increase in your sales just from those placements. Erin, what are some of the few ways that you have like grown as a businesswoman throughout this journey so far? In the beginning, I didn't know what a PO meant. Uh, you know, I didn't know what an NDA meant. Like, you just yeah, I didn't even speak the language. I didn't. And I think at that first trade show, it was real intimidating and real overwhelming because you have so many people that come up to you, handing you business cards, some of them promising you the world, wanting to do licensing agreements and get you into DR or there's just so many different ways you can go and you just feel like you don't know. And I, I think as we've gone down the path more and we've kind of tried doing different things, I mean, you just, you feel like you're, you've learned so much. I mean, one thing that was kind of a mystery to me working in this field was like working with distributors and distributors can be, be great, but then it's difficult sometimes to find a great distributor. We've talked to distributors that tell us they do great things that we work out. That, then we learn that they're like working out of the trunk of their car, you know, <laughs> they're, and they're actually like, you know, a hairstylist that just decided to start selling some stuff. It's hard, I think, to get to the truth sometimes, but I think we've been a lot more bold and just having learned the questions to ask, we've improved a lot in that area. Just not to get taken and just, if it doesn't feel right in your gut, just don't do it. <laughs> just wait and maybe look into other opportunities. What advice would you give to a woman out there who has a product, she's got it working for her and she's trying to get it out there because she believes that there's a market for it. 
What advice would you give her? I really feel like trade shows were a huge thing for us. We didn't know much about the different types of trade shows and we did a lot of research and just started even calling when we did Chicago, we called them directly and said, we're thinking about doing the show. Can we get more information on the inventors corner? And the the people that were over it were so great. And they were the ones that kind of gave us contacts to people that had done it before. It's just nice. It's like getting a review almost. You just want to talk to someone that's actually done it to kind of help you out. And I think people that have gone down the path before you want to help you. I mean, I think inventors that have already done it, we've had so much help and support from people that have kind of been there before us that it's just so nice. They love talking about it. They love helping other people out because they've been there and they know how hard it can be. So I think trade shows were, were really big for us and that they're in all different industries. And you can even go to a trade show before you ever sign up. You can just attend and just walk the show and kind of see what you think and see what the layout's like and see where you might want your booth and to get ideas on how you might want to build your booth and decorate it and stuff like that, I I think is kind of a a smart way to to go. What is it that keeps you so fired up about what you're doing? It's still fun. My husband and I, we, we say that, I mean, there's stressful moments, but there's times we say we're still having fun. We still enjoy this. There's still something about like having made something kind of out of nothing and bringing it to life and then actually selling it and seeing it in stores and having people get excited. You know, I'll read reviews and people will say, I've, I wish I would have thought of this or, I, you know, I've been waiting for this for a long time or this works like magic or it's just what I need. I don't know. It just makes you feel good and it's fun and yeah, I guess, I guess that'd be it. That's awesome. Erin, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show with me today. And thank you so much for sharing so much detail about what it has truly taken to build your business. I find it so encouraging that you're so humble about the fact that you're not quite where you want to be. But I think the best business people say that. I really do. And that they're constantly learning. So big congratulations to the huge successes you. you guys have had so far. And just thank you so much for being here and for sharing. Thanks for having me, Katie. You can get all the show notes for today's show at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 67. My biggest takeaway from Erin was how important that belly to belly relationship is, how important trade shows really are to establishing relationships. You know, she even said it herself, you know, we were trying to email, email all these folks and trying to build these relationships and trying to open up conversations and they just were not happening. And then they went to trade shows and that's where a lot of these relationships started. So her, you know, her relationship with QVC, her relationship with Sky Mall, like all of these major, major things that have been wonderful for her business have all come out of trade shows and really being one-on-one with the people in the industry as well as her direct clients. So that was a big takeaway for me. I hope you got something great out of this and I hope if you have your product in hand um, that you got something on where you need to go next um, or if you have this product in your head still, I hope you got some really great takeaways on what you can do to take those next steps. Thanks so much for being here and I'll see you on the next episode. Just another random tip of what I loved about Erin was that she was so humble. She had told me before we started the recording, like, Katie, I kind of feel like I'm still going through this and I'm still, I don't know all the answers. And I said, don't worry, that's exactly why you're on the show because we're all there. So no matter where you are in your journey, don't worry. You don't know all the answers and neither does anyone else. We're all in this together.